It's Friday morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Kafaro Cast. Not that it really matters the days anymore since the world shut down. And uh, I just want everybody to know, Harold is six feet from me, so we are meeting the social distancing requirements. And uh, Harold is on the podcast with me today. What's going on? Oh, just uh, same thing. We had a little conversation here about uh, for about 10 minutes on uh, how the world is just... Uh, a lot of people drinking the media Kool-Aid, but not to take things seriously. I mean, it would be nice to just have some positive notes out there, and that's just not allowed in the general mainstream of things. But there are positive things to look at out there. But we won't get into coronavirus. I've had enough of that. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Don't make me cry this morning. Yeah. So now what we got into here at uh, Kafaro class, I would just uh, told, got a hold of Aaron texting him while he was out turkey hunting in Nebraska to uh, – Giving him a thanks for uh, helping us out with doing the podcast, helping me out with the podcast, thus helping everybody else out there hunting. Um, what I'm getting at is a lot of people weren't aware till we did this last fall about the sheep season in Colorado for archery. Archery, uh, the bow hunters, if you're a bow hunter, you had 24 days to hunt sheep. And if you're a rifle hunter, you had 36, which really makes no sense. And it hasn't made sense for years and years and years. And I've been fighting it like crazy. Um, finally went to file a citizen's petition to try to give us some equal opportunity. I mean, bow hunters, as we all know, we are, uh, we're competing with never having the woods to ourselves with just archery. There's either black powder rifle, high altitude buck rifle, wildlife or ranching rifle, people hunting fall turkeys. And this, we all know the national forest on how many, everybody just wants to take their guns up there and just shoot the shit out of everything during our archery season. So it's never quiet anyways. But why couldn't they at least give us the same amount of days to hunt sheep as the rifle hunters get? Well, they finally made the change last year. And um, so now instead of having 24 days for us to hunt, we got 31 days. We got the whole month of August. So I don't know if anybody's looked at the brochures yet or even noticed that, but you got an extra seven days to hunt sheep now that you've never had in the past. It is proof if you uh, make enough noise and talk to the right people. I'm not a person that kisses anybody's butt. Everybody knows that. And I didn't do any of that but I probably would have stooped low enough to do it <laughs> to give us more of an opportunity to hunt. Um, I just never had to. And uh, the other thing that I really pushed hard on that I wrote some literature to and I, I gave it to uh, uh, the Division of Wildlife, Corey Chick, in regards to the moose seasons, regards to the, you know, we got to do something about our preference points. Well, the moose season changed too. And I think that, again, you know, this helps out a lot with uh, the podcast and just the, the general public be aware of the things that are going on. But a lot of the people didn't know when there's three seasons. There's a rifle season, there's a black powder season, and our archery for moose. And they're like, man, okay, there's five tags available. Well, that was five tags total for all three way, ways of taking an animal. It wasn't five tags for a rifle, five tags for black powder, and five tags for our archery. It was just five tags. So when you put in, because of that, the Division of Wildlife had a little bit of a loophole in their systems. Like, okay, if you put in for archery and up to the last day before your season started, you could change it to rifle. Or the last day before it started, you could change it to black powder. Because it didn't make no difference because that tag was good. It was only for all three methods anyways. So I was like, why don't you just make the whole season available for anybody drawing the tag? That's the whole season available. So they finally did that this year. So now you have pretty much close to, I mean, eight weeks worth of moose hunting where you only had two weeks before, which is a big deal. The only difference they did it is you have to do it in a matter of uh, 
you have to hunt the way that season was. So if it was deer and archery moose, the timeline, the dates, you would have to hunt with a bow. And if, it, if you then all of a sudden it turned into black powder, you would have to now put your bow down and now hunt black powder. And then, of course, with rifle season, you could, it is legally, you could still use a bow during rifle season. And I'm not sure if they'll change that black powder with archery uh, with the moose deal or not. As of right now, if you have a black powder tag for deer, elk, or antelope, you cannot use a bow. But uh, you, you still could do that with a rifle. Bottom line is, we got that, uh, I would have said, you could just go ahead and use whatever method you wanted because it's such a limited amount of tags, never more than five people in the woods at the time for hunting moose anyways, especially when you are sharing it with already people hunting rifle bear, you know, high country mule deer rifle, um, cow, some of the cow hunts are rifle in that early season. And, you know, so it's, it's guns are going off anyway. So why not let five more people walk around and hunt any way they wanted to? But uh, at least we got it changed. So now you have the whole season to hunt, which I think is a big bonus. And uh, we're still working on things that they didn't change this year, which would be, you know, I strongly feel, you know, with the mountain lion uh, deal that they have every, you know, Nevada, if, if anybody puts for Nevada, you know, right array, right in bold letters, hey, you know, do you want to go ahead and get your lion tag? Arizona's the same way. Montana's the same way. Uh, they want you to hunt mountain lions. And... Colorado, we're the only ones that have the quotas like we do. Um, and I really been trying to push hard for archery season deer and elk to be able to have a, a, a mountain lion tag. I would buy one. I'm sure Aaron would buy one. The chances of seeing one are next to impossible. But if you did, it'd be loved to have that opportunity. The vision wise always complain about not having enough money. Well, I know a whole lot of people buy mountain lion tags and wouldn't even be successful. It would be a win-win for the DOW no matter what. And we should be able to hunt them during the first rifle season for deer and elk. You should be able to hunt them, have a tag for second season, third season, fourth season. You should be able to hunt mountain lion during the big game season with no quotas. Just hunt mountain lion like everybody else does. And it doesn't diminish the numbers of the mountain lions in regards to, you look at the harvest stats for Nevada, you look at the harvest stats for Arizona, Utah, Montana. They kill approximately the same amount of lions every year. And so it's not like... Man, we killed a bunch of mountain lions this year, and then we have unlimited tags the next year. Well, there are not as many, and then the next year after that, there's not as many as that. And then they're like, oh, man, we better wake up and put quotas on. That's not the case. Every year, they kill approximately within 5 or 6% of the ones they killed the year before. Sometimes it's over, sometimes it's under, but it's never, they're all just always there. It's never not, and they're not dealing with, you know, the, the amount of, uh, the, the cats following the deer and elk into the wintering grounds and just totally decimating the herds, especially when, you know, you look at the own data from the Colorado Division of Wildlife, uh, a male tom will kill up to, you know, a, a deer a week, 48 weeks in a year. Um, then you got, you know, a female training her kittens, they can kill up to two or three deer a week. So you put that many cats in an area, I mean, it, they could just totally decimate animals. So I'm really pushing for them, allowing us to lift the quotas and hunt them during any of the archery, black powder, or rifle seasons. I mean, Aaron, you'd buy a tag, wouldn't you? I mean, I can't think of anybody that wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. And uh, like you said, every state does it in, in Oregon or, or, you know, whatever. You, you just buy the mountain lion tag so you have it. Right. Which makes total sense. Again, it's a one in a probably thousand chance it's of seeing one. It's not even a percent one. of a percent of seeing one, but it's nice to have that tag in case you did. The thing is, is um, where I've... um. 
and I killed one this way, just like on a bear, cats normally want to kill their own uh, meat, but if it's super fresh, they'll come in on it. And that's how I got mine was on a deer carcass, and it was the same day. So it's worth having. Yeah, it is worth having. And, and you can legally do that. I mean, you can't bait for lions, but if it's a natural kill and you haven't done nothing to move it, even in regards to a, a gut pile of a deer or elk that you shot, as long as you're not placing it in a certain spot uh, under a tree stand or moving it to a better location um, and leave it all natural, you know, you can totally legally do it that way. And that's an awesome way of getting it. It does increase your odds, you know, without a doubt. You know, I've always been on this with the divisional wildlife too. I hate to be this being a bish session, but I mean, it's not a bish session. It's just an education session. And I don't want to seek anything in regards to non-residents, but with their desert sheep tag, we are allowed one desert sheep tag for non-residents. And I don't think they pay, I think they pay $1,500 if they drew it. Well, I've been to the wild sheep show. I've been to, you know, Safari Club. I've been to the Utah the Sports Expo where they're selling these tags. And desert tags never go for less than $100,000. And I would think rather than having the one non-resident tag for desert sheep for Colorado, and if they want to do stuff for sheep enhancement and sheep uh, observation and sheep um, research, I think $100,000 would go a heck of a lot further than $1,500. Um, I think that should be an auction tag. I really don't. I think it'd go a lot further being an auction tag than it would be selling it as a non-resident tag. Yeah, that'll piss off non-residents, but the, the reality is as far as the greater good of the sheep, it would at least be a hundred grand. Uh, I mean, I've been to the shows too. I, I saw that governor's tag in Montana for Bighorn go for, what, 340000 So in the break. So, I mean, it, it, it goes a long ways, um, you know, as far as benefiting the actual, the, the sheep in general. Yeah, and also I've been down around the, those sheep units, you know, 53, 64, 62, uh, Marv Klinky as well. I mean, we've uh, combined had pictures of just so many mature rams that are just dying of old age. So even if the DOW is kind of wrinkling their nose up, if they hear this podcast, which I think when they hear my names on stuff, they listen to it, they could still have a non-resident tag, but still have an auction tag. I mean, that is such an opportunity to dial in on the demand uh, versus the, the amount of people that want this coveted tag that you could also have and investigate an auction tag. You do it for mountain lion, you do it for bighorn sheep, you do it for goat, you do it for every species we have in the state of Colorado with the exception of desert. And it's not that you don't have enough desert sheep, you just haven't got on board with allowing a desert sheep tag to be. So it's just a suggestion. If you want a hundred plus grand extra to do some research and that kind of stuff for, for sheep and wildlife, get involved with adding your last and only animal that you do not have as an auction tag, be an auction tag, which would be a desert sheep. Gotcha. So um, as we're talking about this, and, and you don't pay attention to the the podcast, so I'll kind of fill you in. We recently did a few podcasts about nonprofit organizations and organizations in general like um, SCI or BHA or Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Wild Sheep. One of the things that I, as I dove down that rabbit hole, because I wasn't familiar with all nonprofit organizations, I strongly encourage people to join uh, SCI, Wild Sheep, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, just because of what they do. It's pretty amazing once you start talking to uh, the people involved in there, what those organizations actually do. I knew how much money goes around at the Wild the Sheep Show. Um yeah, it's millions is what's getting raised. It's it's pretty astro. It's pretty amazing. Right. Well, even the, like the mule deer, the 
uh, what's that real famous one in Utah right above Salt Lake? The Wasatch? Wasatch is one of them, but this, that's not the one I'm thinking. They, but at any rate, that mule deer tag went for 400 grand last year. Oh, that I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's it's just like what Aaron says in regards to supporting this stuff. Even with, uh, I I was a, one of the guest speakers with the traditional bow hunters banquet now two years in a row. But I got there a little early this year when the board was out there talking, and it's not like they have a lot of money because they you know we need to get some younger generation and some younger blood in there. But with what money they do have, they Right now, something has nothing to do with traditional bow hunting, but they're throwing what money they can into educating people in regards to fighting wolf introduction into Colorado. That has nothing to do with traditional bow hunters. The CBA, same thing, Colorado Bow Hunter Association. They're fighting the wolf, trying to educate the things. Um, the DOW, you know, I've talked to a couple of game wardens. They're told to stand down. They can't give an opinion, um, which is just asinine they're the they're, they've made them the biologist of the colorado and uh, they all have their own little areas and that, that they kind of dictate what they want to do with their seasons and the numbers and stuff and they can't give an opinion and their personal opinion about wolves because they got to stay this neutral status which i i just don't understand neutral status is i think a cop-out when you could educate we need educated responses not just stand down and don't say anything and let the one-sided you know, left media people talk about stuff They're like, yeah, a wolf is cute. She's patting her puppy. She's licking the afterbirth off them. They're chasing little rocks and playing and that kind of stuff. But then the videos that we have of them helping a, a bull, a cow moose give a calf and they're help pulling it out for her. She goes into stress. She dies. Her calf obviously dies. It's it, the, 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 the search and destroy that wolf mentality is whether you have a football team, basketball team, and you're called the wolves or whatever, that is because of that mentality of just search and destroy. And, and they do that. And there's evidence of that. That's why they were able to, to convince Sarah Palin back in Alaska to do the airborne, you know, shooting of wolves to try to control them because Alaska is a roadless country, a state. And you can't access it. So they, you know, the only way you can get to it is, is playing and whatnot. Well, the places that they went and did this, um, they'd closed moose units. They had closed caribou units to where you used to be able to shoot five. Now it was down to one because they would follow these migrations of caribou. And what's following the caribou? The wolves. And all the carcasses, 90 plus percent of the carcasses were just killed for practice. Uh, when they were hungry, they'd take a bite out of it. But if they weren't hungry, they didn't. But they still wanted to kill and never stop 24 hours a day. So you have to control your predators. And Colorado, even though the Division of Wildlife will not stand up for the hunters and stand up, what I mean by that is if you bring wolves in, there really is no reason to have a hunting season. You just ask your neighbors. Montana is the worst mistake they've ever made. Idaho, worst mistake they've ever made. Wyoming, all of them are like, I wish it never happened. And because they've closed down hunting units, people are like, well, shoot, this is nat nature's way of doing things. Have you ever watched them do their thing? Uh, we're just not allowed that billboard of what wolves can do and show a death, you know, with a cow, a cow moose looking over her shoulders, a wolf's pulling her unborn baby out of her, out of her. We can't put that billboard up, but they can put their billboards up. And I just don't understand that attitude. I, I tell you what, not to interrupt too much, but one of the things I was amazed at is one of the organizations I had on here, I looked into some of the board members of that organization, and 
one of them was a very, I guess you'd say, staunch advocate of wolves, and which amazed me because um, they're supposed to be in it for hunting. And he had a, a spiel about when they did the using biology when they assessed and studied the wolf issue in uh, Idaho and Montana, like the Lolo unit, that they were saying the the bears were what the issue were or the mountain lions and it wasn't the wolves. So when I hear things like that, I'm like, okay, there may be some validity of what's killing what and, and the numbers, but why did we go for X amount of years with zero issues and then magically the moment the wolves were reintroduced, that's when the bears just started eating more? Like that doesn't make any sense. Obviously the wolves made this huge change it's another predator, and then those uh, those numbers of those wolves drop, or the number of the elk dropped significantly. They were basically trying to get it to where the wolves were a good thing, and they weren't really a problem. And I just don't see it that way because there wasn't a problem until the wolf was reintroduced. No matter who studied what or what it said, obviously the wolf is what made the problem because there wasn't a problem before the wolf. The numbers in the Lolo herd, for example, that was one that was an amazing unit, and they shut the fucker down. Yeah. Like, yeah, so I common sense seems to be not overly common. No, it's not. And then they, it's, the best ability for the wolves to have the most success is in deep snow, and and when the animals are pushed, you know, jumped up together to where they're wintering grounds. So the herds get big, they get a lot huger. So they they're easier to track, they're easier to follow, and they're easier to confuse for these wolves. They're awesome hunters. Well, you start throwing the bears into it. You know, a lot of us, even the really stupid people out there, know that bear hydra- uh, hibernated at that time. So how bears have that kind of input is this they're not even awake then. Yeah, there's also the, um, when you when you talk about that, no different than a human, let's say uh, the cow survives while it's pregnant. That doesn't mean there was so much stress caused on her that the basically the baby is uh abort not aborted but um good lord what's the this word is still born still I mean, born thank you yeah because of the stress she was caused by the wolves chasing her and you got to chalk that up to something and it certainly wasn't a bear sleeping in a cave no no so it's i, I think you can make a model to say whatever you wanted to say um and you know that's what they're doing with the coronavirus every single day you can make it say whatever you want it to say by doctoring the numbers and make it be exactly the way you want it to be but when you just actually look at the evidence and the, and the research, guys like, you know, here, I've been predator calling for the last three weekends in a row in the middle of nowhere trying to find a mountain lion. Um, called in bobcats. I called in uh, coyotes. It's been a blast. But I'm up there in that country where the deer, the elk, because I'm predator calling, I don't want to be too high above them, above timberline or any of that kind of stuff. I'm down there where the deer and elk are wintering. So no one's going to have to tell me or Aaron that, or anybody that's doing this stuff, that deer or elk populations are getting low or or they're really looking good. I know it because I see it. A lot of the people that are want to bring the wolves in, they wouldn't know if deer and elk were extinct unless they read it in the paper because they've never been in the woods and probably never actually seen one themselves in their lives. Never been camping, never been anywhere like that. And the problem is we're outnumbered by the people in the city 100 to 1, that just think they're cute and would never know if elk were extinct, deer were extinct, unless they read it in the paper or saw it on, uh, you know, saw it somewhere on Facebook where no one would have to tell me. And I'd be the first one to 
pounding on the door at the DOW saying, what the heck's happening to the numbers in this unit? I've been there. I've been scouting. I've been doing this. What happened from this year to next year? And I have done that. Not so much as pounding on the door like what the heck happened, but just giving them my opinion and the observation that I've made by being in the woods. Now, I'm not saying field research, but I'm in there as much as anybody. And I do recognize things and I've been doing it for, you know, 40 plus years. Yeah, there's something to be said for for that. One of the major issues I have with this whole thing, and you'd already mentioned it, was the fact the biologists and the uh, the game wardens are on a gag order. They can't, I, I can't get them on here to talk about it. They can't talk about it. Um, they can't give their opinion. They can make basics, you know, they can, you know, whatever press releases there, they could make that. But that's the end of it. They can't say any more than that, which sucks. Yeah, because they're, they're our source of information. I want them to be my library. I want them to be my source that I can go to. So if they don't give me a tag this year because they said they had a bad winter kill, I'm not going to be upset. I mean, like, okay, man, you're doing your job. You're. I don't want to be the person that shot that one last deer or elk to put it over the brink. You're keeping me from making that mistake. And that's what you're there for. But I don't trust that that's what they're there for anymore. They just aren't allowed to say what the real stuff is out there because it might hurt somebody else's feelings in the Republic of Boulder. I mean, it just, there should be no such thing as a gag order. Information is information. And we're talking about not hearsay, not assumably or anonymous sources. We're talking about, you know, which is what the media lives on these days. We're talking about they should be able to talk if they have the evidence to back it up. Yeah. What has um, all this uh, coronavirus done with uh, Alaska for you and and, uh, and Jonah? Well, right now, as of two days ago, well, two weeks ago, they made it to where anybody visiting Alaska had to go into a state-mandated uh, two-week quarantine. So anybody getting off that plane had to go into a two-week quarantine. Um, they shut down the border, so you really can't drive to Alaska. You can't get through Canada. So you have to fly so they know when you're there. Then they're going to shove you into you know, the, the state mandated quarantine. And you think about that, it's like Alaska. So Jonah would be picking up a hunter, a client, one-on-one, taking him and dropping him off in the middle of nowhere for two weeks. How much better quarantine is there than that? Rather than being all stuck into a gymnasium somewhere with a bunch of cots being quarantined shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people he just got through flying on the plane with. I mean, it just, it makes absolutely 100% of, no sense. I mean, that is, I don't, I, I don't know how you could even argue with that. And now, two days ago, they shut down the bear season in Alaska. That's not only going to impact, you know, the outfitters and the hunters. And I could see, and I'm, I'm not negligent to the coronavirus and how serious it is, and maybe not wanting an influx of people coming to your state from out of state. But the quarantine was taking care of that. But then to take it one step further. They shut down the season for two weeks. I mean, they shut down the season completely, the bear season, at least through May 31st. Uh, goes into June for another couple of weeks, but other than that, it's pretty much done and over with. But they also shut it down for the residents. So Jonah, he's like, well, shoot, I can't take clients out. I might as well take my wife and my kids and maybe my dad out to the cabin. And that's where they shoot a lot of brown bear and grizzly bear this time of year when they're popping the caps off their dens. And it's a fun, fun hunt. Uh, there are a lot of snow machines and you're, you're landing on top of mountains with a, you know, super cub with skis. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal, but 
He can go land. He can still do everything he wants to do. He can go to his cabin. They can still go sneak up on bears. They can still look at them. They can do everything they want. They just can't legally shoot them. So how much sense does that make? I mean, I can see maybe stopping the non-residents, but that was taken care of with the two-week quarantine. So I can't even see that. But to stop the residents of Alaska from hunting bears, they're there anyways. They're already there. Why would that ever, why would they ever made that decision? I, I don't know. Everybody, every state wants to do better than the other state. It's like, okay, I'm, we're taking away our bear season. Like Washington, they took away their bear season. Um, they're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll match your bear and we're also going to add deer. We're going to take your bear. We're also <laughs> going to add turkey. I mean, Aaron just got a notice saying that, uh, you know, because he bought his turkey license in Nebraska, he's grandfathered in. He can still go back and shoot a turkey. But because I didn't, I can't go to Nebraska as a non-resident to hunt turkey. Right now, going into Kansas, you're in a mandated from Colorado. You got to go into a two-week quarantine before you hunt anything in Kansas. So every state just wants to be that much better than the state next to them and, and just kind of just go on really left wing with some of this. My personal opinion, I could be way off, but... I'm pretty savvy to some people that are in the right places that I believe I'm not way off. This this whole quarantine stuff and things like that could be modified to where people could still function. I think uh, the, you know, looking at this and obviously I have lots of people, well, much like yourself, calling me and giving their two cents and what they think. And the big, big, big picture is the is the fix going to be worse than the problem, if that makes any sense. is. Is the economy crashing going to end up being worse than the actual initial problem? Meaning, let's say the Copenhagen factory closes down, the Prozac factory closes down, no more alcohol, all the things that a lot of people used to function every day. You can't get that anymore. You're poor because you can't go to work. Uh, the economy's you know, collapsing, theft, and, and everything else. Is that going to be worse than if everybody kept doing their normal job? That's the big question. What damage is each one going to cause? And it's very good, uh, good conversation. I mean, and no one knows. So no, no one does know. I mean, like we were just talking early before the podcast, and so some of it I won't repeat. But it's uh, let's say you had a you know five hundred dollar truck payment. You just got a brand new truck, and and all of a sudden now you're not working because your company had to lay you off, and you got a house payment like we all do. Um, I mean, the majority of us do. So the banks have all these loans and millions and millions of loans and every single one of them or a high percent of them could go delinquent. Could like, I can't pay. What are you going to do? Repossess my car? They'd have to repossess hundreds of thousands of vehicles. They'd have to kick you out of thousands and thousands of homes. I mean, it just, so where does it go from here? Are people going to take that road? I, I sure hope not. I hope this thing functions in a positive way where people still have pride. They still want to, you know, work an honest day for an honest buck to put a roof over their head and put dinner in front of their family's faces at dinner table, as opposed to what the outcome could be. Yeah. Well, hopefully it looks like a V where it crashes down and then shoots straight back up once all this stuff clears up. It, and it is weird. Like, talk, I was talking with John Pinch last night and, you know, you think about What's important to us now? Some people, what's important is how many likes they get on social media. For me, and I'm total asshole, I want to go hunting. That's what's important to me, going out in the woods. Well, you you take away all the money and you take away food and, and you take, you know, all this stuff is crashing down. You know, pretty soon the only thing that's important is, is survival. And it's not going to be like going to work and, and doing your normal job. 
there is no jobs. It is it is truly survival in like a third world country type of a way. I'm not saying it's coming to that, but we close down the United States for the next four or five months. It's not going to be pretty. <laughs> it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's I, I'm sure when this first hit, when people realized they couldn't go to restaurants. I mean, I live up in the mountains. So does Aaron. I cook dinner every single night. Um, I might go into town two or three times a year to have dinner or meet family, friends, whatever. But I'm sure there were a high percentage of Americans anyways that had to Google how to use their stove. Yeah. They've never cooked a home-cooked meal before. They've just never it's, done it. It's funny you bring this up. So, okay, so you're, you, uh, you, you've you got me by 10, 15 years. But the, the time and age where I'm old enough – when I was first backpacking, it was just multi-fuel stoves, whisper lights. Right? Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. And and I always have one of those. Mm-hmm. And so I ordered one for Amy. And with Amy, this is all a learning experience. For She's along for the ride. So we're downstairs, and I'm like, hey, and I'm explaining to her how this works. And I said, look, I'm not trying to freak you out, but, you know, isobutane canisters aren't going to be real fucking high on the list later on down the line if anything goes to shit. Right. I said, so with these— while no one uses these anymore, this will be all that is used because you can burn diesel or, or anything, right? Mm-hmm. Gasoline. And so I showed her changing out the pisser and that smell always reminds me of my childhood because I, I mowed lawns to afford a whisper light when I was a kid. Right, right. And that's what I ordered her, the, the new whisper light. So, you know, I'm talking to, to Jake about turkey hunting and I'm like, hey, I'm going to come back out there and whack my last turkey. And I said, you know what, dude, if everyone's this freaked out, I said, I'll just sleep in your shed. He's got a man cave with a couch. And I said, it's heated. I'll just bring top ramen and tuna and I'll bring my stove and I'll just cook out there and make coffee, which is normal for people like you and me or, right. or Jake. But her mom heard that and was like, what? And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's not abnormal for my life. I lived like that for most of my life. You know, and when you live in the woods, even if you're in a hunting camp in a, in a cabin, when I say cabin, not a five-star hotel cabin, meaning a trapper's cabin. Right. You, that's just what you're doing. You've as long, you you can sleep and you can eat and you can drink. You're fuck. You got her dicked. And so with with Amy, she cooks everything fresh, right? And I'm like, well, that shit may go down the fucking yeah. road here soon. Right. You're gonna have to use canned, you know, canned food. I mean, it, it you can get that now. And I was explaining to her as a kid, like we just take a can of chili open it up and heat it on the fire or the, you know, the stove or whatever. Mm-hmm. We did what we could do. That is like, that is not maybe benign is not the right word. People don't look at things that way anymore. Like uh, if social media crashed, you can't go eat, you can't do these things. Really to survive, you need food, water, and a place to sleep. Right. After that, everything else is a bonus. Uh, most of the world doesn't think like that. And most of the United States. No, it doesn't. I mean, I've never put that extreme, but I've, you know, I, I live out of a backpack five months out of the year, um, guiding for, you know, doll sheep in Alaska above Timberline, um, all the scouting we do and the preparation we do for it, then come back here in the lower 48 and do it with a bighorn sheep and desert sheep. I'm in a backpack and using the same kind of stove Aaron's talking about and living off hardly anything. I will survive. I mean, there, I mean, if, if there's any uh, hunters will, I wouldn't say all hunters, but most of the people out there that uh, if this thing does get to a critical stage, it is going to be about food, water, and whatnot. And I'm, well, one thing nice about it, I got, I'm on a well system. 
So I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, the city all of a sudden wanting to charge a bunch of water for me. Um, I own my water and I can, my freezers are full, deer, elk, and antelope. And I'm not too worried about the grocery stores. I don't want to say I am the last thing as a doomsdayer and a prepper. I'm horrible about that shit, but because of, well, the way you or I, I have those stoves and I have sleeping bags and ways to, you know, that's just Mm -hmm. my life. And, and so I will say I did order quite a bit of extra ramen and tuna and shit like that for, I told Amy, I'm like, well, this is what I eat backpacking anyway. So I, you know, whatever. And, uh, (laughs) she hears some of my, my friends that are doomsdayers, I throw them on speaker, not doomsdayers, but are catering more to the side of the world is going downhill and it's going to be crazy anarchy. And right. I just throw them on speaker because it's fun to listen to. You know, and I, I told her, I said, you know, the, the thing is, is when you get that bad, the only value is what's to survive. And, and the only thing in trade won't be gold or silver or money. It'll be power and what you can can take. And we're not, I don't think we're going that direction, but some of my friends think we are. Oh, yeah. So Home Depot right now, a friend of mine works at Home Depot, and they can't get enough plywood in there because people are already starting to board up their windows. Yeah, which is fucking crazy. In their private homes. Yeah. I mean, they're already, I mean, they're totally drinking the media Kool-Aid. I mean, they, I mean, the media's been lying to the people for the last four or five years, haven't told the truth on a one single one, why anybody would believe them now. And I, my personal opinion, if this was an election year, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, the corona would be out there, but it'd be handled a whole lot different. Businesses would be modified where certain people come to work and you use your common sense. You're not, if you're working in an atmosphere, you're not going to go visit your 90 year old grandma. You're just, you wouldn't do that if you had the flu. You wouldn't do that if you had the cold. You just wouldn't do it with the people that are susceptible to this kind of, uh, this kind of virus or illnesses that could give them pneumonia and, and bother with their respiratory system. So unfortunately, and, and I, I, nobody loves old people more than I do. I love listening to their stories, their history, especially if they are, you know, a lot of them are in the Korean War. A lot of them, a lot of them were in the, you know, World War One, two. Not a lot. I mean, there, there's not, not too now, many of them left yeah. now. Uh, if you do, they're in their 90s. I just got through doing a veterans hunt in Kansas where there were two gentlemen there that were over 90 years old. And, I mean, just listen to them around the campfire. And believe it or not, we'd had a campfire in Kansas, and we were all sitting around it, and, you know, it was just a veteran deal. And some of the stories they had, not about killing or shooting or losing a buddy, but just how all that put it in perspective. And the stories they had, I'm just all ears. I'm infatuated with that kind of people. So when it comes to old people, whether in the war or not, or just the history about, you know, my family homesteaded in Colorado. And just listen to the the people that in my life and my families and the elders, uh, I would take them. <laughs> I take them over a lot of the youth these days. I guarantee you that. But I, I, it's a shame that those people, the ones that are most affected, or anybody, I, I don't think even one person is acceptable to die from this. Not even one. It's not acceptable. You stop it all. Stop it all. But unfortunately, it's taken out people that are just subs- already going to be vulnerable to anything like the flu, the cold. I mean. Today, the flu has already wiped out 18,000 people in, call, in, the, in the United States. That's still way more than the coronavirus starting, you know, January 1st, 2020. So it's still, I don't know, it's manageable, just no different. And if we would have been doing the same things, washing our hands, doing certain things when certain people had colds, flus, that number that we typically reach between 30,000 and 40,000 a year could drop down to maybe a third of that. You know, who knows? There's no way you can put a realistic number on it, but washing hands and 
And if you're sick and you got the flu, you know, not be a, such a pain not to go to work. I think that everything is going to change after this, uh, where, you know, you might have five days sick time and uh, all of a sudden a family member gets the flu, I mean, down bona fide flu. And up to this point, that person would still go to work because he didn't have no sick time left. Yeah. I think that's going to change now. It is a wake up call and it is an eye opener. One of the things I think the eight wake up call is, is how many people that were anti-gun and man, we had them here because we're listed. We got to get off it. We had, we own Kafaru arms. Mm-hmm. Um, they just walk in. I need a gun. And Anders is funny. He's like, he plays along. He's like, well, what, what kind of gun do you need? Fuck. I don't know. I need a gun. <laughs> and they're like, well, we don't, we don't sell guns. And they're like, well, where can I buy a gun? They have no idea what gun, why, you know? And then the other thing too, is they'll bring a gun in. I need ammo. What type of ammo? They don't even know what fucking gun they have. So they're, they're just wanting to buy ammo thinking you can fit whatever round and whatever gun. It's right. just magically. And then the meat. Magically, nobody is gluten intolerant anymore and meat is fine because fucking the meat and bread aisles, or bread aisles are empty. So all these people that were gluten intolerant not long ago, just that shit went out the window. And I think that sustainment three months ago, or when I say sustainment, three months ago, hunting was stupid. You could buy your, your meat. Mm-hmm. Well, then magically the meat's gone. Well, the shit doesn't grow on trees, right? So now, like, I have people getting a hold of me that want meat that thought that the meat they had was better than mine because I killed mine. And theirs was okay because it didn't have a soul or whatever. They saw it wrapped in it. In a, but mine was not okay three months ago. Magically, now they're at my front fucking door asking me for meat. And I'm like, I'm not giving you shit. Like, mm-hmm. and I didn't say that. I'm just like, hey, we don't have enough or whatever. But I'm thinking not that long ago, and some of them I did, but not that long ago, I was an asshole for being a hunter. Now they're like, well, hunting's okay. It's weird. <laughs> And, and that's, it's going to continue to get weird like that. It's, uh, I have the exact same neighbor. She can't stand that I have archery targets on my property because that signified me. I mean, because I got 3D targets. I got a deer target. I got a pig target. I got a bear target. She's like, are you practicing? Why are you practicing on those kind of animals? I mean, on those targets. Why can't you just be a target with a bullseye? I go, I got that too. She goes, you kill those animals, don't you? I go, yes, I do. Um, I want to use the word kill, want to use the harvest, whatever you want to use it. I go, but, and she goes, do you eat everything you kill? I go, yeah. Well, I have a howling coyote, one of my targets. She goes, you eat coyote too? And I can also say I did. Yeah, not me. <laughs> no, and it, it's kind of funny about that. My, I'll tell a quick story on that subject so people don't think I'm out there eating coyote. But uh, I it was one of my first trips to Arizona. I shot a javelina pig. Well, my dad had never seen a javelina before, and I was going to do a life-size mount on it. This was, God, 30 years ago, and I uh, I got it hanging up upside down in uh, my, my meat pole at my house. And I, was, I But on the way home, driving all the way through Arizona and New Mexico, I mean, I killed a bunch of coyotes. When I say a bunch, I think I had seven of them there. Well, my dad took forever to get over there. He was going to be there, wasn't there, wasn't there. I'm like... Son of a gun, this is Saturday. Lee, the guy that uh, processed making my Italian sausage, was gonna not going to be there much longer. So I skinned my pig. So my dad wasn't going to get to see it, you know, life-size. But I took all the meat off, took it over to Lee to have some Italian sausage made. Just as I get home, he's like, hey, man, I need like another pound and a half to make, you know, this, my ingredients work. You want me to throw some beef in there or something with it? I go, no, no, I want this all to be wild. So I went back, and I didn't really want to give him my back strap off the pig. I wanted to eat those on the grill. 
So I cut the back strap out of a coyote that equaled a pound and a half, two pounds, brought it down there to me. Well, when I came back, my dad's standing there scratching his head, looking at this coyote with the back strap missing. <laughs> and he's like, uh, what, what, what's going on here? And I said, well, I needed some more meat for my Italian sausage. And he told me, he goes, I'm, if I ever ate coyote your house before? I'm like, no. He goes, I don't believe you. He goes, I'm never eating at your house again unless the head's attached. I mean, he was <laughs> totally pissed that I, you know, even, even thought about eating coyote. But it didn't sausage. Everything tastes fine. But I had a hard time convincing people to eat it once I told them what was in it. Yeah, no kidding. I just, uh, just the, the big picture of all this stuff, um, I, I do get a, a kick out of it. And I mean, it's not like a, a laughing matter by any means. It's, it, it's just, though, that when people have that, well, like raccoon. I, I lived in Littleton for a while, and raccoons on the front porch of our neighbors. And I, I went over. I said, hey, let me kill that before it becomes a problem. They didn't want anything to do with it. Raccoon's nice. It's fuzzy. It's a pet. Three days later, that fucker's in their walls. I guess it's okay to kill it now. Like yeah. when it was on the porch, it, it was okay. But now it's in the walls. It's a nuisance, and they're in the attic. And, dude, they, the whole family moved in. And they're bugging me. I'm like, no. Pay someone to do it. You you fucked up. You missed your yeah, chance. Like, right. you know, I was like, the the thing is, is there are certain times that people seem it's okay. And for people like you and I and, and the rest of the world, not the rest of hunters, but most of them, that common sense is like wiping your ass. It's there all the time. Um, you know when something's going to be a problem. You know when something's not going to be a problem. And so when most people like not eating meat you've hunted, that's not okay up until the point the other meat's gone, then it's magically okay. I just, that kind of shit just drives me crazy because I'm it's hypocritical, I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, it is. Well, when I used to help uh, the DOW chase mountain lions that were coming down into the inner cities, you know, like Boulder, the front range here, and here these people in Boulder wouldn't give us permission to go through there. You can't control dogs. Once you put them on a track, you could end up being running through private property, and that's just, that's just the way it was. I mean, we'd get a lot of pushback. But then as soon as uh, their little poodle, Peppy, was pulled off their porch and eaten by a mountain lion, now we had permission to go through their property. It just, it, until it happened to them, you know, their neighbor lost their dogs. Their neighbor lost their sheep. Their neighbor, whatever, is like, well, we don't give a shit about them. We like the mountain lion. Then all of a sudden it came over to them, and now they lost a pet. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can definitely go through here. It's just, from afar, it's a bad thing. I mean, you just leave this, let, let nature take its course until it starts affecting somebody. Then they're like, Hey, yeah, uh, now, now I don't like him either. And, and I'll never say the word I don't like the mountain lion, the wolves are the most phenomenal trophy, most phenomenal animal to hunt out there because they're hunters themselves. And, and how could you not respect that? It's just, you gotta, you gotta manage your predators. It's just, I mean, I lost a dog. Um, you can right now, anybody listening could Google Cold Creek Canyon mountain lion attacks. And I lost a dog to a mountain lion up there that was just figured it out. He, he, he's like, well, you know, dogs run to me, deer and elk run away. So he just parked his ass out there in somebody's front yard, dog run to me to eat him. Yeah. They, they thought the cat might've been wounded. That's why he was hunting. You know, he might've had a bad leg, might've had a bad mouth, whatever. Hell no. He just figured it out. And it was a big cat. It was a really good cat. Um, but at any rate, I don't want to get sidetracked on that stuff. But one thing I did want to bring up about the mountain lion is if this ever does reach to a point that uh, goes to a ballot, goes to a vote, like the spring bear did years ago, 
we lost our spring bear season because of hunters. Because they're like, hey, I'm deer and elk hunting. I, I hardly ever see bear. I don't, I'm not somebody that's going to go bear hunting. So no, we don't need to have bear. Well, they shot themselves in the foot because now all of a sudden those bears, I mean, they did up at Cromo, Colorado and over unit 33 and over there in 27, over there on the Colorado, Utah or by Rangeley, they shut down an area and had a bear study. And with this bear study, they saw that doe to fawn ratio was exterminated. The cow to calf was all but exterminated. So four years, that's been five years now, they went over there and shot by paid county trappers and hunters, professional hunters to go kill a bunch of bears to bring the order back into balance to where they could start bringing their deer and elk herd back up. So they proved without a shadow of a doubt, you have to do that. Well, those guys that just said they deer and elk hunted, they didn't care. Well, if they're not no reproduction, and the numbers keep diminishing, it's going to be harder and harder to draw a tag to the point you're not going to be able to go hunt that area anyway. So even though you don't do it, the balance needed to happen, and you shut yourself in the foot and didn't let that happen. Well, if this happens with the mountain lion, and if it gets to the point that I hope it gets to where they start waking up like the whole United States that have mountain lions in them, besides California, had don't have quotas, um, very limited quotas or they don't have any quotas at all. And Colorado just needs to jump on board with that to try to uh, establish balance in that predator. And we hope that uh, we get everybody on board with that. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, what else did you want to cover? The last thing I'd wanted to say is, you know, I'm still working on hopefully the mountain lion deal. And the last thing is, you know, everybody knows the preference points in Colorado are 100% totally out of control. It's turned into a once in a lifetime state. There's I think I looked last year, not this year, but last year there were 11 units. My daughter could never live long enough to hunt. It could never happen. So I wrote a proposal kind of combining Nevada's system with Arizona's system. Nevada's square your preference points. So if I had 10 preference points, that'd be squared into 100. And that gives me 100 opportunities to draw a low number to get a tag. Arizona, if there's 20 tags in a unit and there's several hundred people putting in for them, all those hundred people are hoping to draw a number between one and 20. Well, if I got 20 preference points, I got 20 opportunities for that computer to spit me a number between one and 20. But my daughter that just turned 12 years old was able to hunt. She has one preference point. She has one opportunity, but she, at least she has an opportunity. In the state of Colorado, she has zero opportunity. It ain't going to happen. And we're also the only state that has preference point systems that don't average their points. We're the only state that doesn't do that. You put on a group application and it goes to the person with the lowest amount of points. So if you got grandpa with 30 preference points, dad with 20 points, his son, grandson of the grandpa has zero. Well, nobody wants to put in with him because 30 years get wiped out, 20 years get wiped out. And then Division Wildlife is bitching that everybody's hoarding their points and people are banking points. If they would just allow people to average their points. Say your neighbor moved in from another state and he sees you shooting your bow in your backyard and, or comes over and sees you processing deer and elk with you shot him with rifles or whatnot. And he wants to get into it. He can't. I mean, there's over the counter tags, but we lost a fair amount of those this year down South. I mean, how every year that could happen again. And then the population of people that are coming to Colorado is overwhelming for those over the counter units. So if you really want a quality hunt, you want to have a limited tag draw hunt. And those are just getting to be out of sight. And the point creep just keeps going and going and going. So 
I'm hoping this year, my number one goal where I'm really going to be pushing it hard is to modify our preference point system to where everybody has a chance to draw a tag. So it might be a lot less because you have a lot less points. And I want to have weighted points, which as we all know, mean jack shit. I mean, if you're one of those non-residents that you want to charge $100 for a weighted point, if you have at least five weighted points, I would never buy another one. Uh, as a resident, if you have at least seven, I would never buy another one because we've had mathematicians look at this stuff and I got max, I got 20 weighted point, 19 weighted points, three preference point for moose. Nobody draws in the units that I put in for with the max points and everybody, the highest person last year drew with three plus three. I'm sitting there with 20. So the weight of points mean absolutely nothing. I'd love to turn in about 15 of them and be back down to three plus five, three plus six, because that seems to be the area that everybody wants to draw at. So I want to make the weight of points have a value, which is turn them into preference points. And then modify the preference point system to where your most loyal customers get put into a bank. They don't draw there to get back in the general draw. But I'll explain all this kind of stuff later, and I'm going to have it all in writing. In fact, I do. I got it right here in front of Aaron. We're going to go after the preference point system to make it a better system in regards to you can go hunt with your kids. You can bank point. I mean, you can average points together in a group application. One of the biggest hiccups they have with that, they're like saying, well, what if grandpa has 30? He turns his tag back in again. So every year he has 30. So whoever puts in with him is going to be averaged up. I'm like, all you have to do is put a sentence in there saying in a group application, if somebody turns their license back in again, everybody turns their license back in again. So they couldn't take advantage of that situation. But at any rate, there's a few loopholes to work out in it. After, as, as I gotten pushed back, I've given it to them and they pushed it back and I've given it to them, they pushed it back. So I've been modifying and working things, but still I think if they just will wake up and smell the roses, especially when the average age of a Colorado hunter is 46 years old, they've got a problem. So that's, uh, we're really going to be working on the preference point system. So that's pretty much all I have to say is that's maybe our next podcast, hopefully we're uh, we're talking about how a lot of the listeners here helped out and maybe made a few phone calls to Division of Wildlife or their local game warden, and, and this time next year, people are drawing tags again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, man, I appreciate what you're doing as well as everyone else uh, does, I'm sure, and uh, keep us posted, and, and definitely, um, you know, as time goes on, if you need another big push, by all means, let me know, and we'll we'll see what we can get, don't, get, get going, so thanks again, man.